Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Halfway through the 12 o'clock hour on this Monday... Good afternoon to you. My name is Jake Query, Brendan King in for Jimmy Cook. Joining us now on the program, he is the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, Don Fisher, who joins us, and we will talk plenty about the Hoosiers of Mike Woodson and the fact that they opened up Big Ten play with an impressive win on Friday against Maryland. They're back at it Tuesday up in Ann Arbor. But, Don, before that, I've got to ask you because I think there's a lot of juice in the building and just amongst IU fans in general. Um, boy, I'll tell you what, I'll give – Scott Dolson, a lot of credit, Don, because when I saw Kurt Signetti, not only just his record, but the energy he brings, the confidence, and the track record that he brings with him from James Madison, it seems to me like they hit a home run. Now, that doesn't translate automatically to wins, but I love the energy of him, and I love the confidence of this guy. You've been around him a little bit. Your thoughts on the new Indiana football coach? Well, I haven't been around him as much as I'd like at this point because um, – <laughs> I was scheduled to do an interview with him as soon as the press conference was over with, and they had to rechannel uh, re the schedule for some reason, and I didn't get a chance to really sit down with him and talk to him briefly about uh, about his career and, and what he means to Indiana University at this point. And um, because of that, I just basically had to take my cues from what I saw on other interviews, things like that, and, of course, the press conference itself. And what you stated is absolutely true. His confidence level is tremendous. His bravado is tremendous. Uh, I loved what he said to the student body and to the crowd at the assembly hall on Friday night. I just thought it was special. We never heard anybody talk like that in the past <laughs> at Indiana. <laughs> true. Well, we, and, we have, just not on the football side, right? Well, exactly. <laughs> um, so the, the point is, uh, I, I, there's nothing about the guy that I dislike at this point. <laughs> and, and that's to say that there's not always that opportunity to, to not be as happy with him as, as possible. But I can tell you this. He comes in with absolutely the right attitude to take over a program that has struggled for the last three years now. Don, and without question, that's going to be a critical factor in regard to how things go here in the near future. And I think successful. I believe what he says. Uh, he, he thinks he can get it done here. And I'm going to give him all the credit in the world for saying it. Oh, I think there's a lot of Indiana fans that are, that believe what he says when he says Purdue sucks and so do Ohio State and Michigan. They're like, hey, heck yeah, right? <laughs> I, I know that's not what you meant. But, you know, Don, the guy that he reminds me of, and I heard JMV mention this, and, and I agree, John and I talked and I agree with him. Um, Terry Hepner was so special for that job because, you know, I, I just think that so much of the Indiana job, and I'm not saying that, that – other coaches didn't have this, Kevin Wilson or Tom Allen or whoever it might be, but so much of that job, I think, is in the beginning in particular, is just kind of selling the belief that it can be done. And, and Terry Hepner was one that, you know, gosh darn it, I mean, it was obviously tragic what happened with him, but but I always had such respect for his enthusiastic approach to, to not being above the job and saying, you know what, we're going we're gonna to get this thing right, gosh darn it. And, and that's what this feels like to me, with even a little bit more of an edge, right? But, but just that belief right out of the box, you just hope it becomes contagious throughout the entire program. Well, if Kurt Signetti turns out to be anything close to Terry Hepner, I'm going to be elated yep. because 
Hebner was absolutely the guy that could turn this thing around. And there was no doubt in my mind that he would have gotten it done had he lived to to show it. And um, obviously, he was there for two years. Um, I, I became knowledgeable of him a couple of years before he became the Indiana head coach. Uh, the guys, he, he wanted to be at Indiana. It was his lifetime job to be the head coach at Indiana University. Um, and he said so at the very beginning, and he said, we're going to win. Uh, I think I, I, I remember correctly, he had a rose he put in a bowl. I remember that, yeah. Opening press conference. Um, and that, to me, told me everything I needed to know about the guy because he believed that he could get it done. And that's exactly what I see in Signetti. He believes he can get this thing done. He doesn't just believe it. He's going to do it. That's what he said. And honestly, that tells me all I need to know about the guy because when somebody – and he's had so much success. I mean, you just look at his background. Yeah, it's not at the same level, Division One, whatever the case may be in some of those schools that he was at. But it is certainly – the record is un, un, incredibly impressive. 130 or 119 wins and 35 losses in 13 years at three different schools. That's pretty doggone good. And I'm telling you, whoever, whoever takes this job has to have that kind of belief and that kind of ability – and I think he's talked about his process and those kinds of things and how he's going to get this thing done. And I believe him when he says, I've never looked at a star. I just look at the player and see what he can do and see what we can do to develop him. And when he said develop, that told me what I needed to know because that's what Indiana has lacked here over the last many years now is a coach that has to knows he has to develop players. You're not going to get the best players all the time from coming out of high school. Uh, but you're going to definitely have a chance to develop those guys. And development is the key to Indiana having success because they're not always going to get the five-star guys or the people that, uh, that, that are rated the highest. They're just not going to do that because Indiana's tradition doesn't allow it. But at the same time, this guy thinks he can get it done because he can develop people. If he's got a plan to develop them, I'm behind him a 1,000%. And, and, Don, going right along with that, the mentality that he has and what he believes, how crucial is that for not only going out and getting the right guys for Indiana, but also when he goes and talks with the team as it is right now, at least those that are left, getting those guys to buy in or getting those guys that are thinking about transfer portal to come back? Well, it's, it's going to be critical. I mean, you know, you've got, you've got 20-some kids that already announced that they're going to go in the portal, which I guess is open today. Um, and you've got a bunch of high school kids that had committed and verbally committed, and now four or five of those guys have dropped out and said that they're reopening their, their recruitment. Well, he's going to look at them and see if he thinks they fit. If they do, he'll have them. If they don't, they won't. <laughs> it's pretty simple, and he keeps saying that word, simple, um, and I, I believe him. I think, I think that's exactly what, how you have to look at it. And again, I think the development part of it is the biggest key to this being a successful program again. Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, is our guest here on Query and Company on this Monday. Don, obviously Big Ten play, switching to the basketball side of things. I thought an impressive win over Maryland. Maryland, maybe not the the, the typical Terrapin team that we're used to, um, but I think that you had mentioned a couple of weeks ago that you kind of anticipated that there were going to be some some growing pains, if you will, or just kind of some feeling out with this roster for Indiana. 
And it felt to me like that Maryland game was the first step that some other guys, aside from those that we are accustomed to seeing leading the way, are starting to find rhythm a little bit. But give me the Don Fisher reaction and perspective in that 12-point win over Maryland. Well, I liked what I saw for 30 minutes. I can tell you that. Um, this team basically took it out of Maryland's hands in the early part of the ball game, and they had a 12-point lead at halftime. They held Maryland to a 12 to uh, 28 points in the first half, and they continued to play that kind of defense in the second half. Uh, unfortunately, the turnovers in the last 10 minutes of the ball game, I think they had 11, uh, really kind of killed their momentum and the opportunity to make it a blowout. But the, the fact of the matter is this team is getting better. They've, made, they've processed a couple of guys now here who have gotten much better in their last few ball games, i.e. Khalil Ware and um, Mackenzie Mbako. Both those guys have really stepped up, especially in the last two ball games, scoring and rebounding-wise in both cases. And then you've got Xavier Johnson, who left with an injury in that Harvard ball game. Uh, and hasn't been back since and probably won't be for another week or two, maybe even longer than that. We don't know what his status is. All we know is that it's a foot injury. It's not the same injury that he had last year. It's to the other foot, which is not a good thing. But nevertheless, I don't think it's as serious as what we saw last season. But with him being out of the lineup, I thought Trey Galloway stepped up uh, in the leadership role that was terrific in this ballgame. So that's another guy. And we still haven't seen his three-point shooting prowess, what he showed last year. But at this juncture, he's starting to play the game the way it should be again. Uh, I thought he gave tremendous energy in that matchup against uh, Maryland. And I'm really excited about what I see from this ball club. That doesn't mean it's not going to – it's going to translate to every game that they play from here on out. But you can see that they're getting better. There's a process that takes place with new guys, with guys that are new to the program – and one of the big keys in this ball game, or any ball game coming up, is how much that bench gives them, because that bench is really important to this ball club. I really believe that. And uh, unfortunately, in the early going, we didn't see the bench do very much. All of a sudden, now it's starting to kick in, too, and that's going to be a key. Don, obviously, Xavier Johnson's an important piece. I mean, so, but with him out, if, if I'm looking silver lining here, and I want your perspective on this. I guess a silver lining could be for Gabe Cups and as well C.J. Gunn, two guys that might just simply need reps, right, to just get that familiarity. Could there be some benefit for Indiana later in the year in the fact that those guys might be getting minutes? Because C.J. Gunn in particular, and you you tell me if I'm wrong here, but he's one that I really think needs to get just some minutes to just kind of get some shots falling and get confidence underneath them to be able to acclimate and, and blend in with everybody else to give them some additional depth. And this might be the opportunity for him to do so. Your thoughts? Well, I, I think he's he could be a very important piece. Uh, the problem is, is that he comes out of high school as a shooter. And he's proven that he's not afraid to shoot the basketball. The fact of the matter is they're not going down right now especially from outside. And I think he's a guy that has to understand there's more to the game than just shooting. You have to play the whole game. You've got to play defense, and I think he works at defense. When I've seen him in ball games, I see him hustle, and I see him go after people, and I like that. But I think his basketball, if, if, if there's anything about basketball that's critical, it's understanding your role. And at this point, that's the big question mark on CJ. Does he understand his role, and can he handle that understanding? And right now, we haven't seen enough of that. I think he's very capable of it. But it's going to be an opportunity here because of the absence of Xavier Johnson because 
guard play is going to be critical, and that's one area that they haven't been scoring a lot lately. The guards have not produced a lot of points at this juncture, and they have to get better at that. And Trey Galloway is a guy that certainly stepped up the other night. C.J. Cups, or C.J., Gabe Cups is a guy that has to do that as well. He's just a freshman. He's learning. He's going to get it um, because he's got a terrific basketball IQ. But right now, I think the big key for this ball club is to stay on track here and not get ahead of themselves and understand that every game that they play, especially in these next couple of weeks, is going to be critical to their rebuild. Don, last question for you. Don Fisher is our guest. I've always wondered this, and I thought – you could kind of give a glimpse to IU basketball fans that are listening. So Indiana, for example, next at Michigan, okay? What's the travel like? I mean, I'm assuming that they take like a team plane, but do they typically fly in and out same day? Does it become – do they fly back immediately after the game or is that dependent upon what time the game ends? What is the travel like for a big-time Big Ten college basketball program? Well, it's not that difficult, to be quite honest. We take charters. Uh, I go with the team uh, just about every place that they go. We, so we do charter most of the time. Uh, occasionally we'll drive if it's Purdue or Illinois or Ohio State perhaps. But most of the time we do charter with the team. And the team leaves like this afternoon. We're going to leave around 5 o'clock in the afternoon. After practice is over with, uh, they'll go up to Ann Arbor. They'll get uh, their rooms all situated. They'll go to dinner. Uh, they'll go to snack. They have uh, film watching sessions and that kind of thing in the evening. And then tomorrow, because it's a nine o'clock game, uh, they'll go through the process of uh, a walkthrough and a practice session in the morning uh, in the arena. Uh, then they'll come back. They'll rest, get ready for the ball game, and they'll come home right after the game is over with. If, in fact, the charter plane is ready and available to take home, because we've had that situation happen a couple of times already. So. Honestly, when they went to the when they went to the Empire Classic in New York, the charter uh, basically got canceled. We were supposed to get home on Monday night. It got canceled, and the team and the coaching staff and everybody didn't get back until seven thirty p.m. the next day. Well, Don, you've so got sometimes time. Those things aren't really great. You've got time tomorrow to go over to Canada and buy some Cuban cigars, and then like Dave First and I get stopped at the border on the way back. So just give yourself extra time if you do. <laughs> they don't take those things lightly. I understand. Found out the hard way. I, I doubt that. The, I doubt that they would. Uh, I don't think I'm going to cross any border this this day and age, especially me with my age. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, you're right because that could be a one hour adventure or a three day adventure. You just kind of never know. Hey, Don, exactly travel safely. Right. We appreciate the time as always you bet guys thanks all right don fisher the voice of the indiana hoosiers again mike chapel going to join us at the top of the hour we come back a little bit more just around the nfl from yesterday not only the colts but things that happened that might have influence on them as well when we continue the conversation here on a monday good afternoon to you it's query and company here on 93.5 the fan whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. How are you? My name is Jake Query. Brennan Cook. Or what? Brennan Cook. Excuse me. <laughs> Brennan King. I was just about to say Jimmy Cook not here today. Brennan King filling in. My apologies. <laughs> I didn't sleep well last night for whatever reason, Brendan, so that's okay. hard. I don't know why. Oh, always. Um, it's understandable. Joining us now on the program, of course, the dean of writers covering the Indianapolis Colts, 
He does so now for WXIN and for CBS4, WTTV. Mike Chappell joins us on the program. Chap, you don't mind me calling you the dean, do you? Whatever, just call me. You know, when they quit calling you, when, you, when they quit calling you, you wish they'd call you anything. So that's right. Whatever, whatever floats your boat. Hey, yesterday, and I want you to tell me if because it's listen, it's a it's a beautiful day out, right? It's gorgeous, and here we are. It's a great time of year, holiday season. You know, we're we're now within two and a half years of when they're going to get the stairs repaired on Monument Circle. I mean, there's a lot to love, right? And right. And yet, I had said this earlier, and I want you to tell me if I'm being too negative, Nancy. I think it's great the Colts are in the playoff conversation. I think it's wonderful that they are beating the teams they're supposed to beat and as a result have their first four-game streak in a number of years. But I'm a little bit worried because I was saying earlier, when teams get eliminated, typically the game they lose that eliminates them are a microcosm of the little things that they were able to overcome and the little minds they were able to step around over the course of the regular season. And I do feel like this team, even though it's winning, there are a couple of areas that still are rearing their ugly head. Notably, yesterday, for example, just the rush defense. You know, their, their pass rush was good, and that's maybe we don't give that enough credit. But I'm still worried, even with Grover Stewart coming back, about their ability to stop the run, Mike. And I feel like they're still kind of playing with fire. Am I being too harsh? Probably. I mean, because keep in mind, they were without their quarterback, Richardson. They were without their running back, Taylor. They were without Grover. Braden Smith gets hurt early. So, you know, every team, well, every team except maybe Frisco, you think, man, how are you going to cover? How do you think they're fitting in KC right now? So every team, just about every team has a flaw. Many teams have more flaws, and this team does. But I, 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 and you're totally valid to say, boy, you know, giving up 177 yards, uh, too many, too many big plays you gave up, and and Minshew still makes me nervous. He just does. But 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 they are winning. They're they're playing. Who's there? It's, it's not their fault that you know Joe Burrow's out, and, and they should get a break uh, Sunday in Cincy, and Carolina's a is a dumpster fire. No, I'm, and I've been where you are, and it's valid. I just think it's time to say, man, all the crap they've been through, the adversity they've been through, and here they are, seven and five. I mean, if you'd have told Stike and anybody, we'll give you seven and five after 12 weeks, what do you think? They'd they'd have been all in. So both can be true. Both, you know, and you're right. Whenever you're, generally, whenever you're bounced from the playoffs, it'll be, you got run over, or or the quarterback made a couple of mistakes that you weren't good enough to overcome. Totally valid, but I think every team can say that. We just we get so focused on these guys because it's our market. This is where we are. I would right now, and, and this isn't being homerish at all. I just tend to look at what they've done as opposed to how they've gotten there and the shortcomings they've had to deal with. Yesterday, I mean, things had to happen. Nick Fold Nick Fold hit that hit that extra point. It's over. It, it, yeah. it, it's over. So so it's all that. But that that that's what teams do. And again, it's so easy to forget that they're without three of their best players for for, for long stretches of time. And they've done this. That's why I say I know people have, have mentioned Steichen for Coach of the Year. 
you just shouldn't brush that off. I think he's done more with less than just about anybody else. And the thing about him, Mike, and I can't remember if it was if it was you that I brought this up to last week, but the thing about Steichen to me that I think is easy to forget, he just looks in control. Like he just there, – there are certain coaches – the eye test doesn't always mean everything, but over the course of the year, not only steadying the waters amongst some of the things that you mentioned – but he seemingly more often than not seems to have like the right call or answer and just does so in a very stoic but confident fashion. And that seems to kind of be rippling down. But Mike, the reality is, am I correct in saying this? That's really probably unusual for a young coach, let alone a rookie coach. It seems like he doesn't show you, he doesn't show us a lot of the churning that I'm sure is inside of him. You talk to players and other coaches and it's, well, he's all ball. That's what he is. And that's how he kind of reflects himself on the sideline. And that's not, that's not a knock at Frank at all, at all. I mean, he had to deal with a lot of, a lot of adversity, but I just kind of, this play players tend to, you know, kind of emulate what their coach does. They take on his personality and that's what they've done. It's, and we get tired of hearing it to, want to know the focus and, and all this stuff. And and I, I'm the first to admit he's not the best interview during the week. That's fine. I, I'd rather have we, – we've had great talkers. I go back to Ron Meyer. He'd sell you, you – know, he'd, he'd sell you the, you know, the snowblower – in, uh, in in Hawaii, he'd sell you on he'd sell you on the idea of the wishbone for three games, right? <laughs> and, and you'd say, okay, all right, but but then, but then after a couple of games, it just wears off. And then who are you? Uh, so I, I like what he's done. I, I and we'll see what's he going to do when he gets Richardson and Taylor for the long stretch. I mean, I, I, I'm really curious. So you know, I, I would kind of like to see this thing. Win these games that you got a really good chance of winning. I think I think you're favored in. Now Pittsburgh's got what? Uh, uh, Kenny Pickett has uh, ankle surgery, so you might get Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, you know the the toughest team coming up is Pittsburgh and then Houston. So I just like where they are. I like how they've gotten there, and th- these guys are not going to win pretty. They just aren't. They're not built that way now because of the pieces they're missing. And it's going to take, I'm not saying two-block punts. I mean, come on, that happens once every 30 years maybe. But it's just, it's not going to be an aesthetic piece. But make those three or four plays in the fourth quarter, and here you are. And that's what so many times in the past, even last year, as much of a dumpster fire as that was last year, they make three or four plays, and things are totally different. So whether that's the coach's influence or what, I don't know. But they've had now like six or seven starting offensive line combinations because of injuries, yet they found ways. And I like it's, – it's funny where the pass rush, you really like to have a guy, whether it's Freeney, whether it's Mathis, whomever it is. And these guys have got guys. They've got like – you know, they've got like eight or nine guys that, that, that if they get a couple of sacks, they're not totally shocked. Quiddy's playing well. Ebukon's playing well. Dial's playing well. Taekwon gives you quality minutes, so uh, I prefer to have a guy. But when you can do it by committee like this, uh, you get 42 sacks. That's like it's like I think the franchise record since '82 when sacks were official is like 46. Right. So they're going to blow that out of the water. 
And, it, you know, at the end of the year, they ask, you know, how many did you get, not who got them. So it's pretty impressive. Mike, I know it started off poorly, considering in the Cleveland game, Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt ran it down their throat. Saints game, Taysom Hill, Alvin Kamara. And I realize Jake and I talked about this earlier. You just beat four pretty average teams, some of them some of them bad. But knowing now that you went four and two without Grover Stewart, how big of a storyline is that? That's why I said they found a way. You know, the run defense has been – it's not been bad. It's been atrocious. It's like without Grover, it's just – I looked at the numbers. It's 153 a game, 4.7. And with him, it's 113, 3.7. So it's it's massive. And it probably will take him a game to kind of get to get back. Uh, he's been at the complex for the last two or three weeks. Uh, he plays for the first time this week. But it's huge. That's why I say when you look at what they've had to compensate with, with – we talked to Gus Bradley last week. He said, well, the silver lining is a lot of guys have gotten experience. Well, these are guys that you had decided you weren't going to play very much for reason. And now you've had to. It, it, it'll make a huge difference. And, and that's just going to make grow, uh, Buck better inside. And he's been – he's one of the top five guys at his position every year. And, he, and that's the case again this year. And, and then you get Quiddy, you know, playing well on, and Samson on the other side. So – there's no question it's going to be a big, it's going to be a big boost. To me, it's still all going to come down. You know, you hate to put it on one guy, but it's still going to come down to the quarterback. I was shocked, and I heard Jake mention it earlier. That's the first game that Minshew's won throwing for 300 yards. That's that's crazy. That's just crazy. Uh, and I'd always use use his dad how how ineffective he was throwing 40 passes. He was like. One and ten, or whatever it was, and he's like three and two this year doing that because normally the more a guy plays, the more the flaws come out. But he's doing he's doing enough. And now, now the, the the fumble was just I mean that's what that's what just drives you crazy is an occasional turnover where you just can't have one at the five yard line. I mean really. Uh, so, but but that's who he is, and that's why I say this is this isn't going to be pretty. Down the down, you know the the last five or six games, whatever it was, it five games. My Ball State math is failing me. But, <laughs> but 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 all you need to make is those three or four or five plays and and limit the boneheads. Uh, and they got a chance. And once they get in, they're, they're probably not going to make a deep run. I don't where they're going to go. Uh, Jacksonville, Miami, maybe I don't know. But boy, to get in after all the stuff they've gone through, and to have that as positive reinforcement for your first year as a head coach would be immense. Mike, it seems to me, Mike Chapel is our guest here on Quarrying Company. It seems to me, and I want you to tell me if 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 I if I'm just seeing this wrong. A handful of years ago, every time I turned around, like. Every quarterback was thrown for like 350 and three touchdowns. And I know that it wasn't reality, but I'm saying like the, the offenses in the NFL seem to just be wide open. And now all of a sudden it seems like things have shifted. Maybe teams have just prioritized pass rush and defense in general like the Colts have in their last few drafts. But it seems like the overall stellar, wide open, huge numbered games for quarterbacks are, are less now. Like you, some of the guys that we used to see throw for – 354, 410 in a game are now throwing for 220, 240, 260. 
are things being officiated differently? Are are defenses just more athletic, or am I totally off base in general? There may be something to it. And then you've had some quarterbacks go down, you know. And then I look at Justin Herbert out in out in L.A. with the Chargers, and boy, what a, what, what a almost a train wreck they are with 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 not maximizing what they've got out there. No, I, I think it's still there, but but you know, you look last night. I don't think things are being officiated differently. They're being officiated strangely yeah boy that I game mean, how about that call against Mahomes last night and I'm like what is he not allowed I mean it, what's the defender supposed to do he's in bounds right well that, that was ridiculous his feet were in bounds and and then you get the the the, the, the non-interference penalty that would have but about what, what the five yard line with 30 or 40 seconds to play and all that that, that that's what kind of drives you crazy the Colts had the one against uh Cleveland uh was it Daryl Baker that got that got called for the, right. the yeah. interference? And then the league says, "Yeah, we messed that up." Well, great. You know, I mean, you can't you can't bring these things back. And so, yeah. But no, I, I this is still a passing league. It, it still is. Uh, you look at what Brock Purdy and those guys are doing in in Frisco. It's not so much a downfield passing game. It's more inter- it, It's really like what it was with Montana and. And young, it seems like the the, the the run catch stuff, and then McCaffrey is a different level. I think I, I would still much rather have that guy who can wing it and, and take the, the good with the little bad, and hope that the the, the good over overcomes it. But uh, that's not who these guys are. I don't think that it really isn't. You look at Michael Pittman; he's still, I mean, he's on a he's on a roll right now, uh, which is really encouraging. And you talk about guys opportunity uh and timing you know in, in a contract year and he's going to have his best season and he, he's making the plays that a go-to guy wants but the Colts are still not going to be even with the big throws to, to Alec Pierce they're still not going to be a deep a deep game offense I don't think with Minshew you need to take shots to, to, to let people know you can but I don't think that's who they are but I just still think it's kind of Team to team, and I still give me a quarter. Give me Anthony Richardson every day, and, and uh, more of a more of a vibrant offense than, than what what these guys have right now here. Mike, the thing about Michael Pittman to me that is also impressive, he's in a contract year. We know that. We've talked about it a million times. You've written about it. You've talked about it. I've never heard Michael Pittman necessarily this year focus on that, unless I'm off base. Uh, you know, he nope. he. There are other guys that, that that talk about that, and he just goes out and kind of does his business. It, it's a little bit different. Now, he talked uh, with the Jonathan Taylor stuff and how that thing went, and he, he mentioned, uh, I think, Indy Star, how you know that's, that might be a blueprint moving forward, how guys should do it. You know, play hardball and, and have a hold in and get what you want because as soon as the team doesn't want you, they're getting rid of you. So get what you can. Pittman's different because if he stays healthy, as he knew, He's getting his. I talked to him on on Thursday, I think it was, did a story. And, and right, hang on just a second. Kylan, go ahead and put him on hold. We'll count to like 20 here because Chap all of a sudden walked into his basement. That happens every once in a while, right, Brennan? It does. It does. Yeah, randomly my – Parents' house in Florida, they walk onto their lanai and 
Can't talk on the phone. Do you ever have it happen? No. I'll be like talking to somebody on the phone, and all of a sudden my phone just it just drops out. Yeah, it goes at, to at the, a specific place in the house. What, what's the What's the SOS thing that pops up? You ever get that? Oh, that's the worst. And then you like you have to reboot your phone. It happens to me in this building all the time, and I'm like, wait, wait, you get what the SOS happened? here? Yes. When I get maybe up, they're calling for your help to build the stairs. I, that's, listen, the, the, maybe that's where Chap went. He went. He's downstairs on Monument Circle near the stairs, and everything went foobar, right? I mean, I don't know what happened there. Right in the middle of the good conversation. I, the, the thing about Pittman, he's right. I mean, it is interesting with Taylor. Maybe that did set the blueprint, right? Where all of a sudden teams are like, hey – you know, we got to expect our star is going to kind of play it this hard. Taylor ended up getting everything he was asking for. I mean, that's yeah. a funny thing. Like, people with, with the Jonathan Taylor situation, you know, it ended up kind of benefiting Jonathan Taylor. And the Colts are the ones that kind of took tail between the legs. But, uh, you know, obviously they get him back in the fold. All right, Mike, as is. Sorry about that. I, I didn't. I swear to God, that was on your end. I haven't moved. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. You can always blame me. I'm willing to take it, right? All right. But no, but no on, on, on Tit. He knows he's getting his. Worst case, the, the franchise tag's like $23.9 million. And if he gets a long-term deal from here or somewhere else, it'll be more than that. So he knows. So it's a little different with him. And, and then, like I say, but you still have to come out and produce, and he has. So he's going to get his. I think the Colts have to re-sign him just because. Mike, so tell me the guy yesterday in the win over Tennessee. Get, give me – we'll go with two names. Give me two names of guys that don't get their proper due and maybe aren't the type that make a splashy headline, but you've got to pat them on the back and, and say, you know what, those guys yesterday did what they needed to do and good for them. Tony Brown, I think you talked to him talked about him early in the day, how he was kind of beating up on people because of that corner. Well, he, he's not. He, that's not his job. His job is to play special teams. And he, turned, he had one of the plays that turned the game around. Other, other than that, I mean, EJ Speed uh, he had like three tackles for yeah. loss. So he had some key stops, and that's yep. what you and that's what you need. You need guys like that that to come up and make a contribution, and that's what it took to win that game. Okay, other side of it would be, give me a player or two that is healthy, but we don't talk about it. But but they've got to find some consistency here because even amongst this win streak, they're they've regressed a little bit, if anybody. There may not be anybody, and that's why they've won four straight. Uh, maybe a reach is Kylan Grants, and they need more out of their tight ends. Now, whether that's more of, of Minshew looking more to, to, to Pitt and, and Josh Downs, but they need to get more from their tight ends. That's probably an area uh, that, that, that concerns me a little bit more than any other. If you had your choice, if they were still active and you could do it, if you had your choice between seeing a Beatles reunion concert, Bob Seger for three straight nights, or let's say the Stones, who are you going with? Oh, the Beatles. The wife and I, we took our daughter and, and granddaughter to Vegas over the summer, and we saw Cirque du Soleil, the, the Beatles thing, and it was just awesome. Just I, I would walk. I would walk over hot coals to see a, Be- a Beatles reunion. I saw McCartney when he was in town here, and I'm sitting thinking, man, that's 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 25 percent of the Beatles for crying out loud. I know. You know, and, and what's funny is the, the wife was she went to the fairgrounds in '64 to see him. That's pretty awesome. So, yep. Now you know, Mike, as as time has gone on, 
with the Beatles, and I love the Beatles, and I know you like. I mean, that's kind of a dumb question because obviously anybody I would think would pick the Beatles just for the historic aspect of it. But it feels to me like George Harrison. Like I, I think when I was a younger person, I didn't totally appreciate the contribution that he had. But would you agree that George Harrison, in terms of what he brought to the table and some of the things that he contributed is vastly overlooked because of the greatness of McCartney and Lennon. Oh, he, he seemed like he always deferred. Yeah. And it got to the point that I think it really pissed him off. <laughs> like, okay, okay, guys, do what you want to do, and I'll sit here and play my guitar and do this. No question. W- w- one of my favorite albums is the Traveling Wilburys. If you've ever had a chance to, to you know, with Tom Petty and Bob yeah. Dylan and, and Roy, it's just Orbison's in there too, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess they got together for like a weekend. And they just and some of the music's kind of sappy, but it God, it's just really good stuff. Uh, you know the the Bangladesh stuff that George Harrison did. Yeah, he was really he probably spreaded his wings more post. You know, not more because at the, at the end of the Beatles, he did a lot of really good stuff. But yeah, he he was really good. But I, I just think it was a case of you know Ringo's the fourth Beatle, he was the third Beatle, and, and I think it got to the point that it really irritated him. Which tells you maybe the greatness of those guys that they got along for so well uh, until it didn't work anymore. I read an interesting column, Mike. I, I think I don't know two or three years ago. So George Harrison's, and you probably know this. His sister lived in Illinois, like Champaign, maybe. I didn't know that. And she passed away recently. It was it was like two years ago, three years ago. And George Harrison had a sister who came over to the states before he before the Beatles did so she came over in like 59 or 60 it was an older sister and she lived in I believe it was Champaign Illinois but at any rate she lived in Illinois and when George Harrison was just starting with the Beatles he had come on two different occasions to visit her and so she had told she had like a friend that was the social manager at like the Knights of Columbus and was like you know my brother actually is a musician and he did two shows at like the Knights of Columbus or or you That's know great. like the, the Moose Lodge or whatever in Champaign Illinois like in 1960 and 61 and apparently People in Illinois were like, I saw George Harrison before he was a Beatle. And, of course, everybody's like, yeah, sure you did. Right. Uh-huh. Great. <laughs> and lo and behold, this, his sister was just, you know, she was re- you know, she was married, right? So she, it was like Nancy Smith or whatever. And it's like, yeah. well, you know, she's actually Nancy Harrison Smith. <laughs> it's amazing. It is. It's just man. amazing. And I, I say whenever I get bored, I'll throw on Sergeant Pepper. I'll throw on Abbey, Abbey Road and all that. But it's, it's just traveling wheelberries. I just think that's. Uh, what they produced was really elite by elite musicians. It's funny because they they ask, uh, they were asking Harrison or one of those guys about Orbison. He said, he's got the greatest voice of all time. I've heard a lot of people say that. Yep. And then they they always ask, you know, they ask George Harrison, you know, what's it feel like to, to be the best guitarist on the planet? He said, well, I don't know. Go ask Prince. So these guys, these guys, all you know, when my guitar, my guitar gently weeps. I mean, that's just that's just stuff that you can sit there and listen to all that. Well, hey, Prince's rendition of of wailing out to how my guitar gently weeps is one of the great, unbelievable, right? Just and you're right, Mike. Just the natural flat talent. There are certain people in any line, and I'm always mesmerized by this. In any area of whether it be broadcast whether it be print whatever it is there are certain people 
that you realize that there was not going to be anything but destiny to stop them from yep. from being what they are because they were born to do it. And Prince is one of them, obviously, but so are the. I mean, the fact that John Lennon and Paul McCartney were both born at the same time on the planet in the same area of the world right. is unbelievable. Yep. You know. Yeah, um, the, and the, the staying power and. and uh, you know the the impact they had is it's funny the impact they had in the, in the early sixties and mid sixties was going to happen, but go back and look at what the music was before they got here. Oh, totally. I, it, I've it, said the it, same it wasn't thing. Much. Yes, you're exactly correct. But what I've always said, and then we can wrap it up back to the NFL. But but what I've always said, Mike, that is fascinating to me, just fascinates me, is that songs from the Beatles or the Stones or even the Doors. 50 years later are still played in mainstream radio or overhead and and most people know it in the background as the soundtrack of their life yet in 1960 nobody was walking around bopping out the stuff from 1920 you know what i mean I, I mean, nobody was like walking around in 1960, like, "Hey, man, can I borrow your Scott Joplin album?" I, it just wasn't <laughs> happening, right? Right, and again, they had they had to over, over overcome like Gene Pitney and Dale Shannon and all that stuff. Now, now Elvis was 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 hot stuff and all that, but but it was just there for it. But but on top of that, they, they would have been you know standard bearers regardless of the era. They just would have been. Don't and go disparaging my Tommy Rowe now, Mike. Come on. I know, I know. <laughs> like the bubblegum stuff. I, I go back and look. I use. I, I got a list of the top hundred songs from the from the sixties. The Archies. I think my my, you know, <laughs> yeah. yummy yummy and all that stuff. I'm thinking, holy crap! I used to listen to that, and it was in my head. And God. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> got to cleanse the palate, Mike. We appreciate <laughs> the time as always. Look forward to talking to you next week as well. Looking forward to it. Thanks. All right, Mike Chappell on the guest line. Brennan's sitting there like, wait, what? what's going on here? I lost him at Yummy Yummy. <laughs> That's a great song, man. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. New college basketball rankings are out. Burning King, would you like me to go with the AP poll or the coaches poll? Let's hear the AP. The number one team in the land, the Arizona Wildcats, followed by Kansas, Houston, and then the Purdue Boilermakers, fourth. Connecticut, fifth, followed by Baylor, Gonzaga, Marquette, North Carolina, and Creighton is ranked 10th. Coaches poll is the same through the top six, but it is uh, Marquette. That is uh, seven as opposed to Gonzaga. Gonzaga falls eighth in the coaches' poll. Joining us now on the program, he was on the call for Purdue's first loss of the season at Northwestern, talking about Rob Blackman, the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers, that joins us. Rob, I'm going to be as sunny as the day is outside right now by saying this, and I want your thought on it. I I watched that game, and yes, the turnovers for Purdue were critical down the stretch. And they got to take better care of the basketball. But I also saw that game with Northwestern as one of those that I'm like, you know what? At Northwestern just hit some really tough contested shots down the stretch. It was a heck of a lot of fun to watch if you had no rooting interest in the game. And I just kind of chalked that game up to Purdue as, hey, that's one of those you just kind of take your lumps on it because I thought Northwestern played really well and made big shots. Yes, the turnovers were an issue. Yes, there were some untimely free throws. But I give a lot of credit to Northwestern. What say you? Well, let me tell you what our coaches are saying because I just I just taped the pregame interview for the broadcast later tonight with Coach Painter, and I've also just spent the last couple of minutes here with a couple of our assistants. 
and uh, there is no one on that Purdue coaching staff happy with Purdue's defense on Friday night. That, that is, yes, the turnovers are a concern. Yes, some timely missed free throws. Yes, some poor three-point shooting. But the fact that, and I didn't even, I, I got to be honest, I didn't realize this. Our coaches brought it up to me here at shoot-around. The three guards for Northwestern combined for 70 points Friday night. Their average, those three guys coming in, was like around 36. So they basically doubled up their per-game average with those three guys. Uh, and, yes, were there some tough shots hit? Yes, Boo Booey is a tough shot maker. But, I mean, those other guys have not been playing at a high level, quite frankly. Ty Berry, good player, no doubt about it. Uh, 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 Starberg, uh, good player. But, I mean, sorry for the horn in the background. As you can tell, I'm going to shoot around. Um, but you, there's no way you can let those guys go off in you like they did. And so that's where the real point of, of contention is with this coaching staff is this team has to get better defensively. You can't, you cannot go on the road and win in the Big Ten if you can't guard any better than that. And, look, you gave up 92 points. I know it was a 45-minute game, but still, you gave up 92 points. You, if you score 88, I think about this, and Matt Painter brought this up to me, and it really made sense to me. You, you score 88 points. Uh, Zach Eady has 35 points, 14 rebounds. You go to the line 40 times and you out-rebound them by 25 rebounds and you lose? I mean, that's hard to do. <laughs> really, that's really hard to do. You, you have to help the other team immensely. You have to help the other team immensely to beat you. And that's what Purdue did. They helped them with the turnovers and they helped them by, by not guarding uh, worth a darn in the half court on Friday night. And Rob, obviously, is people could hear there and as you'd mentioned you know they got to get back on the horse quickly because it's iowa tonight seven o'clock tip uh does anything schematically or lineup wise change at all when you talk about matt painter's displeasure with the defense i don't think lineup wise uh i do think uh maybe from a schematic standpoint and this probably isn't as much schematics as uh if you're a guy that gets an early opportunity tonight and you are not giving supreme effort on the defensive end you probably will not get back into the game <laughs> i have gotten that uh, i've gotten that feeling here from just hanging around here for the last 30 minutes or so uh if you are not a guy that is giving absolute supreme effort on the defensive end you probably aren't going to play a whole lot of minutes tonight there's a real and look there should be a real uh high level uh, of of uh, interest with what you're going to do defensively because you're about to play the eight highest scoring team in the country i mean i was not great defensively themselves they'll be the first to tell you that but they have no problem scoring the ball they, they average 91 points a game that's that's eighth best in the country so if you're coming off a game like purdue is friday night where you weren't very good defensively and all of a sudden you got to try to you know hey we're going to try to really make an, a marked improvement on defense in this game well yeah this would be the game to do it because if you are poor defensively tonight you might get run out of the building because iowa is good enough offensively to do that to you Hey, Rob, it's Brendan. I want to take you back to Friday night. I was watching the game doing Indiana Sports Talk updates, and just to get the game to OT and the play that that sent the game to extra time, Mason Gillis, the touchdown pass to Zach Eady at the basket. I know Eady, of course, is a big target, but, man, that pass by Gillis was just so impressive, and he's done a little bit of everything for this team. So, How have you seen him continuously improving even into this year? Yeah, it's been fun. You know, he's a redshirt senior. This is it for him. Uh, he took that redshirt year coming out of Newcastle because for those that maybe follow high school basketball closely or follow Purdue basketball, you remember he, he missed basically his whole senior year of high school because of a torn ACL uh, and then came to Purdue and just wasn't quite, wasn't quite right health-wise. So he took an extra year. So he, quite frankly, had two full years of not even seeing competitive action. Uh, and now to see where he's at as a redshirt senior. And, 
you know, BK, kind of what you're talking about, doing a little bit of everything. I mean, he's averaging four and a half points a game. He's averaging four rebounds a game. He, he shoots 50% from three, which is an incredible number, but it only takes about one a game, right? He's a he's a selective three-point shooter. He understands his role. He's a 78% free throw shooter. He just, he just does just does a little bit of everything for you. Um not uh, not a guy that uh, was going to lie big time stats. Although he did have the huge game uh, Mackey Arena last year against Penn State, where he had 29 in that game. But yeah, he just does a little bit of everything. Uh, I, it's been fun to watch him accept his role coming off the bench this year as a redshirt senior. He's a guy that had been in the starting lineup on a pretty regular basis the last two years, and now he comes off the bench and has accepted the role and has done a great job with it. So, but I think the one thing DK I like the most about him is his ability to offensive rebound. He just, For whatever reason, it feels like every game he comes up with one or two offensive rebounds when Purdue absolutely has to have it. And that's uh, that's been a big – you know, he was a big part of that game Friday night, helping extend that game to overtime with a couple big offensive rebounds late in the game. So, yeah, it's been really fun to watch his uh, maturation process. And, again, for a guy that had to go essentially two full years without playing one minute of competitive basketball, it's uh, it's been a really sweet reward for him here in his redshirt senior season. Late in games, Rob Rob Blackman is our guest, the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers. Zach Eady is obviously an incredible player, and they made and drew up a an incredible play to force overtime against Northwestern. But late in games, are there times where Purdue are becomes too reliant on getting him the ball, even when the lane is not open to get it there? I don't know if too reliant is the word, Jake, other uh, or is the phrase, but maybe I would say once the ball gets into Zach, the other four guys standing around and watching him try to, you know, save the game or win the game for you. That's probably the one thing I think it's probably, at least certainly against Northwestern on Friday night. You know, that ball goes inside, and basically Northwestern does what every other team would do late in the game. They run four guys at him. The only problem with that, from a Purdue standpoint, our four guys just kind of stand around watching Zach hope he'll make the play when, you know, someone should be diving to the basket. Someone should be getting ball side corner for an open three. Someone should be getting opposite wing for an open three. Uh, and it is not happening. Um, the whole idea of throwing it into Zach, obviously, is to open up maybe some other players to, to have a chance at an open shot because you know a double or triple team is coming. Early in the game and in games this year, we have seen that a bunch where the ball's gone into Zach, who is a, who is a willing passer. I think folks forget what a, he is a willing passer. Uh, but you got to give him, you got to give him target. You have to be open so he can throw it to you. Uh, and that's what I think disappointed again the coaching staff the most towards the end of the game offensively. We were able to get the ball inside for the most part, but once it got in there, it just kind of be, it became a thing of well, Zach has it, you know. We'll just stand around and watch him try to win the game for us when if we just if this team just would have stayed active offensively with the other four guys, probably could have gotten a high-quality shot, and maybe you don't end up going to overtime, and maybe you find a win that game and find a way to win that game in regulation. Rob Purdue has depth. I mean, we know that. Are we going to see? You hinted about this a little bit, maybe, but has Matt Painter at times been too? I'll say stubborn for lack of a better phrase, but he does have depth or versatility to make replacements if someone is defensively lacking where have the defensive breakdowns been and as Matt Painter was he was he too slow maybe in making the adjustment and getting somebody else in well I'll start with that first question the 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 actual defensive breakdowns were not so much on the guy guarding the ball but what was happening away from the ball uh and I 
was fortunate enough. I sat in with film earlier today before they came out to shoot, and that's what they were talking the most about. You know, the guy on the ball, yes, maybe it wasn't perfect all the time, but at least there was some effort there. What's happening is, and this has been a mostly a guard-related problem, What's ha- the guy guarding you know, his man away from the ball is not in a good defensive stance. They haven't jumped to the ball. Uh, so when the guy cuts that they're guarding, you know, they're standing there flat-footed, and now they're trailing the play, and now they're giving up a, a three or a layup or a dunk because they just weren't down and ready when the ball was – when their guy didn't have the ball. Uh, so that's the real point of emphasis. And I think that's what you'll be – you know, if I'm a fan, which I am, by the way, uh, I would be looking for that tonight. Uh, don't necessarily watch the guy guarding the ball when it comes to Purdue, but watch what's happening away from the ball. Uh, and if that guy is in a defensive stance, if he's alert to where the ball is, if he's paying attention to his man so he doesn't just get back cut for an easy layup because he's not, you know, he's not paying attention. If you see that happening a bunch, then you're going to see that guy coming out of the game. Now, on the rotation standpoint you're talking about there and depth, Jake, uh, Matt has jokingly said many times before, you know, I normally start the season thinking I'm going to have a 10-man 10, 10 rotation, and by the start of Big Ten season, I'm down to nine, and by the time the NCAA tournament, I'm down to eight or seven and a half. It's, <laughs> I don't know if he has a, a, a valid reasoning for that other than he says that's just kind of it's always been in his career. Um, for, the, for the most part right now, I think Purdue is Purdue's playing nine, really. Um, Miles Colvin only played three and a half minutes in that game Friday night. I think he'll get some more run today. Um, but look, uh, I can't emphasize this enough. If if you're watching the game tonight and you see a Purdue guy not getting it done on the defensive end, he's probably going to have a pretty quick hook because this coaching staff he is not pleased with what they're seeing defensively right now. Rob Eddie White is insisting that I ask you who the best girls soccer team in the state is. <laughs> Brebuff Jesuit. Come on, that's an easy one, Eddie White. Everyone knows that. Hey, Rob, tell me what you know about Iowa, who's going to be facing Purdue tonight. You know, interesting, Jake. Their best player is Ben Cricky, the Valpo transfer. Um, so they're getting a ton of help from a, you know, from a mid-major transfer. Cricky was good last year at Valpo. I mean, his first team on Missouri Valley, but he's averaging 18.5 uh, for Iowa, leading them in scoring. So, uh, But the, the two guys and this is going back to the Big Ten Tournament Championship game two years ago in Indianapolis, two guys that Purdue has always, always struggled with when they played Iowa the last two, two and a half years have been Tony Perkins, uh, who's the Lawrence North kid. He's a senior now. Uh, and Peyton Sanford, who's uh, the real good shooter, six seven shooter. He's a junior uh, who had a big-time game against Purdue in that Big Ten Championship game two years ago. So those are three names right there, but... As far as guys that have traditionally killed Purdue in the last couple of years, Sanford and Perkins, those have been the two guys that have really been a thorn in Purdue's side. I know this about Ben Cricky. He's not related to Don, different spelling, and he's a native of Edmonton where I spent a year one weekend. I know that Here? much. It's, that's the extent of my knowledge. Yep, you're right. He's a Canadian, correct. And uh, uh, he is, uh, yeah, he's their best, at least offensively, uh, he's been their best player. So he, that's that's pretty good find in the transfer portal there for Iowa. Rob, have a good call tonight. Always appreciate the time. Okay, Jake, BK, thank you. All right, Purdue and Iowa tonight at 7 o'clock. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.